This is a, a different approach for me than what I normally take with the sermon series. I would normally want to do a sermon series on marriage builders and talk about this is how you make it stronger. But what I, what I was, as I was praying about this and thinking about this going forward, it just, it, I, I began to think about it from this direction. It's easy for us to amen and even agree with the marriage builders, but to ignore the marriage busters that are undermining the stability of our relationships with each other. So if you've been around for a while, if you're new today, this is not typical. I'm not normally the negative preacher. I'm normally try to be the positive preacher. But the reality is sometimes there are things that the Bible says don't do. There's a place for reminders of things to avoid. And as I was thinking about this series and where we're going with this, it came to my, my mind that there are often people who wind up with difficult relationships. And by the way, I'm talking about marriage. Uh, and, and if you're here today and you're not married, you're like, okay, so for the next four weeks, what do I get out of this? Well, if you're not married, maybe you will be one day. But even more than that, you have relationships today. And all of these concepts connect with all of your relationships. There are going to be some specifics that relate to marriage but the general concepts relate strongly to all relationships that you're in. The, the, so it will help us as we go through life. As I was thinking about it, uh, Kevin may be thinking about the car dealership kind of a thing or whatever. People who sabotage something and maybe not aware of it. Think of, Michael loved your illustration too. So may come to your house. So I'm going to do my illustration. Think of someone who go, goes and buys a new car from Grover GMC Buick, where it's a great day at Kevin Grover. It was a great day at Owasso First Assembly. I love that transition point. I was like, we're in. We're part of that. But think of someone that goes and buys a car, and they're driving the car, and they're, they're loving the car. They're keeping it clean. They're doing all the things they need to do, they think, and they're driving along, and it's been about a year. And, you know, they fill it with gas. They never let it get below half you know, empty, and they fill it back up, and they, they, they go through car washes, and they keep it good. But they call Kevin after a year, and they go, this car is horrible. It just died, kind of made loud, weird noises, kind of blew up, if you will. And I have put gas in this car every time it needed it. I've washed it. I've taken care of it. And Kevin says to the person, when did you get the oil change last? And they say, what? Have you changed the oil in the year that you've owned the car? I, no. I didn't know I was supposed to do that, but I really, I, wa I washed it and waxed it every month. Okay, you sabotaged the ability for your car to operate properly because you ignored something that, that was a problem that you didn't deal with. You did all these other good things. And I think sometimes human nature, we try to put out all the little good things we're doing around here, but we sometimes ignore the very thing that is eroding away our relationship with other people and even in marriage. We're going to look at four things in the next four weeks. So today I'm going to talk about selfishness. Next week I'm going to talk about isolation 
The week after that, we have our men's conference here Friday night and Saturday with Neil Kennedy and several great national speakers coming in for that. He will preach that Sunday on dishonesty. And then the last week of the month, I'm going to talk about anger. We'll talk about selfishness today. Classic passage on marriage comes from Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul writes this way, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church for we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I, I have this, this awareness that absolutes are used way too often. By the way, with sound, I'm getting like a really bad ring up here. I don't know if y'all are hearing it out there, but it's a little bit distracting. If you can take me out of monitors or do whatever you need to do as much as you can. We, we have this tendency in our culture today, and, and I'm hesitant to ever say it's never been this bad before because I go back and read about Nineveh, and they're pretty awful people. And... Uh, Sin has always, been a, has always been around, and it causes people to do really bad things. But the thing that I see in our culture today, more than my lifetime at all, is that people have become very quick to be offended and to, 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 to label and group other people in ways that are offensive. It's kind of ironic if you think about it. People get mad for whatever reason because they feel like they, their grouping, whoever that grouping is, hasn't been treated properly. And they, in turn, they also lash out against another group. So, uh, and even if I say this, somebody's going to go, oh, yeah. But that even says what I'm talking about right here because I would be identified as a middle-class white man. So, therefore... I'm in this camp over here. And we get all of these things going on back and forth. By the way, I really am appreciative. Anybody calls me middle-aged too, by the way, because that means I'm going to live to be 120-something, and that's pretty cool um, as long as I have good health. Okay, so the reality is I'm going to live forever anyway. So I got that 120 beat. But we have this tendency in our culture today to, to, to pull out in groups of, based on offense, and rather than ever trying to solve a problem or rather than ever trying to find a solution, we just get mad. So feminism is certainly not a new issue. It's been around all of my life for sure that I can remember. 
but it's becoming more exaggerated by a certain group of people. I want to be careful to say this is not universal. It should not be in the church, what I'm talking about right now. But there's almost this antagonism that develops in our culture. And rather than looking at people as individuals, we tend to put everybody in a group or a class and, and it creates problems. So the people who look at life like that, they read this passage and they get really mad. And the others, if it's, if it's men who are, who are male-dominating type thinkers and women who feel persecuted and they're thinking that direction, the gap gets wider as you read a passage like this because when Paul says, women, submit to your husbands, all of the dominant men type people are going, yeah. And it's like, kind of weird. By the way, anytime you're like amening something that you think applies to other people, you may not have a good grip on reality. <clears throat> I'm just saying. And then women, get they read the other part, and they're like offended because <clears throat> of what this says and how they, they understand it to be. And the reality is, I think this is in your notes there, uh, I'm going to jump to the second and come back to the first thought I have in your outline there. The focus of Ephesians chapter 5 is more on responsibility than rights. It's not men saying to women, you need to submit to me, woman. It's not women saying to men, you need to love me, buddy, like Christ loved the church, you slacker. It's not that we use these words in a combative tone, but rather we grasp the responsibility that comes along with what is said for us. The picture here is not of division, but it's of oneness. And that last, toward the end of the, the passage there in verse 33, Paul says that, that we're to love our wife, men, as as. And the wife is to respect the husband. Go up just a couple of verses to 31, and he's talking about this sense of oneness. A man leaves his father and mother and be united to his wife. Later on, he talks about becoming one flesh, and there's certainly uh, a connection of a physical oneness in a sexual relationship but it's more than that. Before that, you become united as one in every capacity, becoming united in him. When we hear what Paul says here, he's not talking about men having authority over their wives as we think of that, but rather men having a love for their wife. His authority is, is defined in terms of loving responsibility. When we hear authority, we often think of power, dominion, maybe even oppression. But the picture of authority that Paul paints here is one who is not domineering, not one who makes commands, not one who demands obedience and who inhibits and suppresses his wife, but rather this is one who is modeled by Jesus Christ. And it implies sacrifice, self-giving for the sake of the one you love. It is a power, an authority to care, not crush, to serve, not dominate, to facilitate, not frustrate. And in all of this, the standard of the husband love 
for his wife is to be the cross of Jesus. This is not a place where men beat on their chest and go, I am the authority. But this is a place where men come from a position of sacrifice instead of selfishness. For marriage to succeed, each person must be committed to personal growth and improvement. People have, we all have interesting ways we look at the Word of God as we read it. Some people read the Word of God, and one of my friends talked about a person he knew reading the Bible, and he was, he was impressed because the guy was reading the Bible because he didn't know him to be a follower of Christ or a student of the Word. And he sees this guy reading his Bible at work, and he goes up to his, the guy and he says, you're reading your Bible, I'm so, so excited to see that. And the guy says, yes, I'm looking for loopholes. And some people have that mindset. And others read the Bible looking for ammunition to reinforce what they believe so they can shoot everybody else down that's around them. I find those approaches to be very anti-biblical. When I read the Word of God, the primary thing that is happening is God is using His Word to work in my life to conform me to the image of Jesus. Now, as a pastor, it's tough sometimes because I'm reading the Bible and I'm thinking, oh, this would be a good sermon. And I'm kind of marking out, and here's a paragraph, and here's the way to go at it. Here's some things to say. And I have to remember, before I can ever get to any of that, I need to be reading it as the mirror that I see myself in so that I can adjust and improve my life. Where something is wrong, I can discard it. Where something is right, I can enhance it as I become more like Jesus. The Bible speaks with great volume concerning how we should treat others. And I would say this to you today, how much more should that biblical treatment be visible in our homes? We're talking about evangelism earlier today and the importance of it, and I preached on it last week. And I really think that one of the keys in allowing us to have a positive impact in our world is that we are living out what the Word of God says, and it is visible through the relationships we have within our homes. That's a validation. If you are, are out in your backyard or even worse, front yard, yelling at each other and screaming at each other and threatening to leave one, one another and, and, and you know, you're carrying on with that kind of stuff, please don't denigrate the name of Jesus by proclaiming your witness to your neighbor. Let them think you're a heathen. But rather, on the positive side, husbands and wives treat each other in such a way that your neighbors would see that 
what Jesus calls your good works. That's one of these categories. They would see the love, the compassion that you have toward each other, the understanding, the goodness that is there. And then when they find out you're a follower of Christ because you're sharing your faith with them, they are saying, I want what you have. We go back to the car dealership thing with Kevin over here again. Kevin doesn't want the testimonials that are people who don't know how to treat a car, then they complain because they think the dealership messed it all up. They don't want the guy that never changed the oil for three years and says, I bought a car from there and it blew up. If you're not doing what you need to be doing, you damage your witness in your community. Now, one of the great marriage busters that has to be eliminated from our relationships is selfishness. It's not only in marriage. This is in relationships and friendships and people you work with and your neighbors. Selfishness is incredibly destructive. It has the pride as its root. And and there's so many things I would love to say right now, but for the sake of time, I'm going to move on and look at this one aspect a little bit. And the problem that I see with this is that many are oblivious to their self-sabotaging behavior, and they wonder what happened to their marriage or to their friendship or the other things they're looking at with regard to relationships. read a quote this week that I thought is, is so accurate and so spot on. It said, selfish people tend to only be good to themselves, then they are surprised when they're all alone. If you're always looking out for your best interest and what you want and you're always spending money on you but no one else and you're always thinking of what makes me happy in life and you never think about anybody else, don't be surprised when you end up all alone. We've got to make investments in people. The reason that many people get married starts with such a positive-sounding thing, but if we're not careful, it can result in such a destructive thing. See, why do you want to get married? Because this person makes me so happy. Okay, that's good. That's a whole lot better than they don't make me happy, and it's a ton better than they really make me sad. Okay, that's not where you want to go. But the ultimate goal is not that they make me happy, The ultimate goal is I find incredible joy in making them happy. I can't imagine living without them. The things that I do are better when they're with me. This is just a a moment of of, of uh, uh, self-exposure, I guess, here, whatever. But but Janet had surgery on, uh, on Friday of this week, and so... She wasn't able to be at the marriage conference today, and she's not here in church today. She's watching at home. And um, I tell you, it's just the weirdest. I keep looking over here because, because she makes me a better person. And my goal is to do whatever I can to help her enjoy life. Now, I've, I've said this before, but here's the beauty of this. When I am seeking my own happiness as my ultimate goal in life, it'll come up short quite frequently. Because I cannot do a great job of capturing happiness. And we started out 
football season back in September, I think, or August, whenever it was, if you're an NFL person. And next week, uh, two teams are going to play. Here's what that means. Fans of 28 teams have already been disappointed. And next week, another one will. Sorry about that, Eagle fans. But... <clears throat> One in 30 is not good odds. That's just one example. But if I find my happiness in the things that I'm doing, what happens when that event ends? What happens when, like I said, my team doesn't win? What happens when my car is no longer the newest one on the block? What happens when I realize that whatever I own, whatever I possess, it's getting older and it's not as good as it used to be and now there's better what happens when I buy a new computer and I realize three days later they roll out a brand new model that's 20 times better than the one I just bought? What happens when my happiness is contingent on my circumstances is that I will continually be unhappy because happiness is difficult to capture. But it's easier to create. When you're creating it for someone else. You know, grandkids are God's reward for letting your children live. <laughs> the other wonderful thing about grandkids, and if you're a grandparent, you'll understand this. If you're in the middle, sorry. If you're a grandchild, you may understand it. But genius skips every generation. <laughs> so my kids are, they're, they're good. My grandkids unbelievable. They remind me a lot of myself. So, uh, <laughs> but grandkids are great for this reason, especially, there are different seasons of life, but especially when they're like two, three, four years old, you can say, I got you a surprise. And just that phrase, just that phrase can send them over the top. I mean, I, but I have you a surprise. What is it? They're so excited. And it can be really nothing that great or big or grandiose. And they're like, oh, just what I wanted. Thank you. And they're so happy. As we get older and then we get gifts, we're like, is that it? Is there, is there a second part coming? Oh, okay, thanks. We can create it, though, better than we can capture it. The reason many people get married is because they are looking for their own happiness. And it, there's, that's certainly not wrong within itself. But if that's the primary reason you're getting married, it's going to hit some rocky spots really quick. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. James 3, verses 14 through 16 if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So real quick, selfishness is demonstrated by destructive actions. Let me give you, I think, six or seven of them here. Six of them, I believe. Selfishness is demonstrated by being a demanding person, demanding what you want. It's this overbearing harshness. 
and people who come in with their list of demands, whether that be an actual written list or whether it's just an understanding of this is what you're going to do for me or we're going to have a problem, are difficult people to live with. Second destructive action is feeling like others owe you what you want, uh, particularly your spouse. And this is called entitlement. Well, I'm entitled to what I want because I am your husband. I'm entitled to what I want because I am your wife. You owe this to me. When you're operating from that perspective, you remove the joy of life. How many of you would prefer to do something nice for a person, something good for a person, from, with pure heart, pure motive, and just see the joy created by it, rather than have them tell you what you're going to do for them? Third thing is jealousy. Jealousy means I can't be happy in what my spouse uh, is enjoying in life if I don't get to be a part of it. And there's, this, there's jealousy that often occurs between spouses, jealousy that occurs between friends. And it's so imperative that we replace jealousy, again, with celebration. This church, through the years, you guys have been so, so, so kind, so gracious to me and Janet through the years, far more than we could ever deserve. We, 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 I, I tell other pastors, I say, when you start thinking people owe you something, your church owes you something, you're in a really bad spot. Man, I'm just so thankful that I get to be the pastor of this church. You've been so kind to us. And after we'd been here 10 years, uh, part of a deal and arrangement was made that year for pastor appreciation offering. Instead of the offerings and the other things, everything that was given went to give, for me, uh, a new car, a Mustang convertible. I used to drive it for about eight years, I think. It was a gold Mustang convertible. I loved that car. I used to drive it all over. People knew how it was because there weren't a lot of them around. Now I have a black SUV, and you don't know when it's me anymore, but I see you on the highway sometimes. I'm just saying. And do you know that when, when I received that gift from this church, most of my colleagues, other pastors, said to me, that is awesome. I'm so happy for you. But there was probably about 20%, and that's just the, an estimation. I don't remember. I didn't calculate or count it. But somewhere in that, that 20% range probably said, wow, nobody's ever done anything like that for me. That must be nice, having people do something like that for you. And I said, yeah, it's very nice. And I thought to myself, and it will probably never happen for you. Because your attitude is lousy. I didn't expect that. I, I, I wasn't like thinking they owe me this. Jealousy doesn't improve your position one bit. It just creates animosity in your heart for someone else for the goodness they've received. It is most tragic when it comes into the relationship between a husband and a wife where they don't see each other's accomplishments as belonging together. Janet is uh, very quick. 
to tell you she's not the pastor of the church, doesn't want to be. She doesn't really like to be called Pastor Janet that much. She says, that's not my thing. But I can tell you, everything that I've ever done in ministry is probably 80% due to her and 20% to me. Well, 80% her, well, let me back it up one more time here. About 80% God. <laughs> About 18% her and 2% me. I just get to be along on the parade. But jealousy robs us. And it's, it's birthed in a selfish mindset. Greed. Greed is when I want everything for me. I, when, when we lived in St. Louis years and years and years ago, Janet had a friend that she, she rode to, with this lady to uh, college classes on the other side of St. Louis, lived near us, and they went to college on the other side of town, and they'd ride there together. And I remember her and her husband had not been mar- married a long, we hadn't been married long either. They hadn't been married a long time at this point. And they were already at a position in their marriage where it had digressed to the point that when they went to the store, all of the snacks they bought, whatever that was, Twinkies, Cheetos, or whatever they got for snacks, they would take them on day one and divide them into different bags, his and hers. And I said, oh my goodness. I have no idea if they're still married today or not. We, we didn't keep in, in contact with them. My gut would say probably not, unless they change some of their perspective. When, when, when my concern is always to make sure that I'm getting what I deserve and I'm greedy to, to hold on what's mine. See, when we got married, there was no longer Bruce's and Janet's. There was Bruce and Janet's. The two become one. The two become united. Now, I'm not about to get into a debate on whether you should have individual checking accounts or how you, I, I, you do your business however you want to. I'm talking more about the mentality that says this is mine and you can't have it. I went home and told Janet something yesterday from the conference. And again, this is us, not you. Probably not one of our best habits. So this is just us, not you. Question was brought up in the, the, the conference yesterday about marriage and conflict and about money and how those things happen it was like so what's the amount of money you have to ask before you can spend your you have to ask your spouse before you spend a certain amount of money i went home to jail last i said so here's the question what's the amount of money you can spend without asking me for my approval she just laughed (laughs) and i went you're right (laughs) It's probably not something Dave Ramsey would recommend. I get that. But I'm really thankful that neither one of us have this mindset of, don't get your hand into my cookie jar. Don't mess with what I'm doing. And the reality is both of us probably do more spending for each other than we do for ourselves quite frequently. She's bought me stuff I would have never bought myself. I just give her credit cards so she buys what she wants. And I say, that's for me. So we work it out. But we're frequently trying to make sure that we take care of each other more than ourselves. 
greed can often come into relationships and often into homes. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, here, I want you to notice this next phrase right here. We all know that first part. Incredibly misquoted by most people. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is. Some people eager for money have wandered. You look up that word in the original language, and it actually truly means what it sounds like to us, that, that without really calculation or intention, they just kind of lost their direction. They lost their bearings, and they got off on a wrong path. Anybody ever been out on a hike or anybody ever been driving your car back? GPS doesn't let you do this much anymore, but back in the day, where all of a sudden you look up and you go, I don't even know where I am right now. Because you're, you're daydreaming while you're walking or you're driving or whatever, and all of a sudden you go, I need to stop and figure out where I am. I don't, I don't know my location. There are a lot of people that in their faith journey, because of greed in their heart, they have wandered from the faith. And look what it says that has happened. They have pierced themselves with many griefs. A couple more real quick. I won't even talk about them. But lack of courtesy, that's, that's a mark of selfishness, rudeness, threatening words. And when selfishness abounds, here is what it leads to quite frequently. Loss of trust, poor expectations, disrespect, resentment, stress, intense arguments, and constant belittling. And if you're not careful, you'll get off on that path without ever realizing you chose it. God, help us to be sacrificial instead of selfish. Here are some, some actions that show a self-sacrificial mindset. Number one, admit when you are wrong. Probably a lot of you are like me in this category, I would imagine. And I really think this way about myself, and it's probably an issue of pride that I need to get better at and work on more. And I've said it before, and, and I think it's fairly true, but I want to make sure I don't go way too far and say I'm never wrong. I don't think I'm wrong that often in life, but I hope that when I am, I can acknowledge it. And I hope that I never let my pride become the issue more than what I think the issue is. A great phrase we heard yesterday is just because something is different doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different. A lot of questions in life are not right or wrong. They're preference. And if I'm making my preference a position of right or wrong, then I am wrong in my approach. Admit when you're wrong. Actively listen to your spouse with the goal of understanding. You know, when we're listening to people, sometimes we listen for different reasons. Often in an argument, we're listening for some nugget that we can use to win the argument. We're listening with intensity because we're hoping they'll say one thing that we can go, aha, now I have you, rather than the goal of understanding. Sometimes we, this, this is not just marriage, this is friends, this is people. Sometimes we got we to gotta strip away all of the layers of misconception and misunderstanding that so easily get in the way and look at what's really going on. Number three, focus more uh, on your relationship than your individual perspective. I want to do all that I can to make the relationship that I have with Janet the best that it can be. 
I am, I am, this is very truthful word here, I am a stubborn person. You, you know every bad word has a good word on the other side of the coin, but we usually choose the good when we're talking about ourselves, the bad when we're talking about other people. So let me rephrase that. I am a very determined person. I just, that's a nice way of saying stubborn. So often I lock in when I think I'm right. And often I think I'm right, so that's prideful. You might just, you want to use the word that, that I'm confident. That's the good word of the other word. But I have to make sure that I'm looking at this whole situation of how do I make our relationship better. And realize that often when there's an error, it's more on me than Janet. In my pride, I can go, well, it's just because she doesn't understand me. But I rarely ask the question, do I understand her? I've got to focus more on our relationship than I focus on my individual perspective. Asking questions with a sincere heart to understand of let's talk about why you feel that way. What, what's, your, what's, the, what's the background? Because I'm not understanding it yet. You'll, you'll be amazed that when you do that right, how much it opens up vulnerability, which leads to more of an intimate relationship with each other. Find great joy in doing something special for your spouse. Um, doesn't have to be big, but it just needs to be something you do intentionally. So takeaways, four of them for you today. Number one, verbalize your commitment to each other to have a biblical marriage. <laughs> it's, just, it's so amazing to me. It'd be the last thing I mentioned, I'm going to throw it out here again for you. When God, God loves illustrations, by the way, right? God loves illustrations. God loves demonstrations of truth that are reminders. He loves all that kind of stuff. So after the earth was flooded, for example, and he said, as a reminder, as an illustration, as something you can look at and be reminded, this will never happen again, I'm going to do what? Put a rainbow for you to see. So you'll know every time you look at that. That, that, that this will never happen again. God uses a lot of illustrations. In the Bible, the Old Testament things that happened that were, were illustrations will happen. The New Testament are called types. And we see Abraham taking his son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. And we see that as an illustration of what Jesus will do for us later dying on the cross. So, so there's, there's a whole lot of this. When God said, I want an illustration of what it means to express the love that Christ has for the church, that the church has for Christ, I'm going to use marriage. Wow. I want Janet and I to have a relationship with all of our bumps, scars, bruises, and all that we have. I want it to be a marriage that reflects the biblical relationship between Christ and the church. Number two, determined to eliminate strife that comes from selfishness. You know, what, I, what I've discovered is, is that when selfishness is in the mix, there's a whole lot of strife going on. Because when I'm demanding my way, it, it doesn't go over real well. Can I get a witness? 
don't point at your spouse or anything like that, but when I'm like, Janet, here's what you're going to do. She doesn't just feel this warm, lovey sensation. Neither do I and neither do you. So let's eliminate all the strife that comes from selfishness. Number three, develop a commitment to trust in God in obedience. If I had more time, I'd go back and I may do it later. But the things that Paul talks about in that passage, the underlying theme is this, is that the responsibility of husbands uh, for their wives is to love them as Christ loved the church. Matter of fact, it's in there at least three times, depending on how you read it, three times in like six verses where Paul says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's making a point. That's the number one responsibility for husbands. And wives, the responsibility is to come alongside your husband and realize the pressures of life and stress that he has to, just like he needs to realize that about you, and work together. And in these discussions about marriage, stop focusing on your rights and start focusing on your responsibility. I'm just telling you what I know and what I've seen. When the discussion is all about my rights, I'm going to come in with my list of demands and my grievances and why you haven't treated me right and you're not kind enough to me and you don't support me and you don't do this. And guess what I'm going to get back in return? And here's what's wrong with you. Boom, 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 boom. But when I begin the conversation with I want to make sure that I love you, Janet, even as Jesus loved the church. I can eliminate a whole lot of the clutter that happens when we get defensive instead of obedient. I know there are people in this room that have gone through difficult marriages, and my heart aches over that, and I don't want you to feel any guilt or any that's not the point today. Please don't let the devil take you there. The point is from this day forward going on, how are we going to live? And what are we going to do to make our marriage better? See, too often, I really think this happens, is that people wind up that their marriage is broken and shattered, and they're looking around with their hands out going, I don't even know how this happened. It's because you did not obey God and you self-sabotaged. It may not have been both of you. It may have been one of you. You may have been working really hard to get everything right. And your spouse may be the one all at fault. I'm not trying to blame you today. But I think too often we take a path that's inappropriate. And then we're amazed when it winds up at a place we didn't want to get to. Number four, express gratitude to your spouse when they create a selfless culture in your home. I think there's five things I wrote here. Home must be built on the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Faith in God. And say amen after I say it. Faith in God. Obedience to the Word of God. Love and commitment to each other. And a growing desire to honor God with all your relationships. When those things are in place, it will improve your life substantially. Don't allow selfishness to sabotage the future that you're believing God for. I, um, 
I want to do a couple things real quick as we close today. First of all, I want you to know that this whole journey begins in your relationship with Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That's where it starts. And if that's not in place, it's going to be really hard to get everything else going on. It's going to be the illustration, people. It's going to be like trying to build a Jenga stack on one little peg at the bottom. And it's, it's a little more challenging. Get a good base, and it gives you more stability to go higher. The foundation of Jesus as the Lord of your life is the key to all of your relationships. The Bible says it very clearly that salvation comes through declaring the lordship of Jesus, abandonment of sins, and acknowledgement of supernatural power in his life. Declare him as Lord, believe God raised him from the dead, and then allow it to transform your life. That's the key. And if you haven't done that today, in a moment I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to say that prayer. If you need help in the journey, that's what we're here for. We have gifts out front to give you. We've got books and Bibles and things that will help you in your journey if you need that. If you know somebody that needs that, we'll be glad. All of those resources, we would love to give thousands of them away. If we run out, we'll order more. But we have those things if you need that. That's a key today. But secondly, I want to ask you to make a commitment today to avoid selfishness in life, thinking it's all about you and you're deserve, you deserve everything and you could never have enough and it's all about accumulation. The Bible says that joy comes from learning to be a giver, not just being a taker. And I pray today that you'd be free from the self-sabotaging attitude of selfishness. And I pray secondly today that if you are in a marriage relationship, that you would allow God to use that to be a witness to other people, that they would see the difference Christ makes in your marriage, and they would be drawn to God because of it. Wouldn't that be cool? Somebody said, man, you guys are so different than almost anybody I know in the way you honor each other, respect each other, love each other, care for each other. May God let it be so. Would you bow your heads with me today? If you need prayer today with your relationship with God, it's not where it needs to be, and today you'd like to get on the right path with that. Would you just simply raise your hand real high across the room real quick? I'm not going to take very long, but I want to pray for you today. I need to get right in my relationship with God. Just keep it up till I can see, and then I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Anywhere across the room. I need to get right with God today. I need that relationship where it needs to be. I prefer to ask questions like this. So it'll be one question, and it's for everybody in the room if this is where your heart is. How many of you will join me in saying, I want God to help me to avoid a selfish mindset? And especially for those who are married, I want my relationships to draw people to God the way that me and my spouse interact, I want that to be something that glorifies God. If that's you, would you raise your hand with me all across the room right now? Would you stand together? I'm going to ask our deacon team to come to the front, and our prayer team, our staff. If you need prayer today for anything at all, 
spiritual need, a physical need. If you just really want to lock in on what was said today, maybe you've struggled with this, and you want to say, today's the day of decision. I'm going to honor God in all my relationships. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me to avoid selfishness. And, and I want to be a different person. I certainly invite you to come now, but if you have a need of any nature, as we sing together, are we singing, Russell? We, we're not singing, are we? As he's playing the music today, I invite you just to come to the front right now if you would. Right now, would you come if you need prayer? Anyone in the house, just come right now. Let us join with you in faith. God, I thank you today that you are faithful. I thank you, Lord, that your desire for us is that we would have fullness of life. May we not, may we, may we resist the lie of the enemy that tells us that fullness of life means more things and that accumulation brings happiness. May we come to a place, oh God, where we recognize that selfishness destroys. But Lord, may we follow your example of sacrifice and of giving. God, today we thank you that as we walk in your path it is the path of righteousness it is the path of holiness it is a path that will influence our world with the gospel may we walk in obedience to your word in all that we do lord we give you praise and we give you thanks for it now in jesus name amen would you take a moment just lift your hands to the lord right now would you make that your prayer in your own words Say, God, use me, use my relationships to glorify you. Thank you, Lord, that you are directing our steps. You're guiding us in the right path. May every marriage be strong and healthy. May we reflect your goodness, oh God. We give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.